Our guest this week is Graeme O'Rourke, who's a serial entrepreneur and a very engaging and interesting speaker. Graeme tells us about his first successful company, More Solutions, a web services company, which he co-founded with his wife and they're even still married. <laughs> As if that wasn't enough, he then founded Afix Solutions about five years ago, which is a successful e-commerce company. Graham talks about how his business model involves selling through his key partners by bringing extra value to their e-commerce platforms. This has brought him to new markets all over the world. It's a great example of how a company first finds a new market by working with other companies and then perfects an efficient sales model with these partners. As always, we play out on a great number, which is a lot of fun. This podcast is sponsored by Netzer, Digital First Selling. During these times of COVID and falling telco sales, Digital First Selling is the answer to new customer acquisition, increasing revenues and cost reduction. If you are a telco, an MVNO or an eSIM provider, we have the ideal Digital First Selling as a Service solution for you. The Netzer Digital First Selling solution enables you to sell and onboard remotely. You will integrate with your BSS and OSS systems and with Salesforce, and we meet all regulatory requirements. Contact pat.flynn at netzer.com so that we can understand your issues and provide you with the best solution. This week on the podcast, we have a fantastic guest with Graham O'Rourke. Now, Graham started his career as a successful engineering manager in multinational and decided to take the plunge. So himself and I believe his wife started a company called More Digital. And that was very successful. And after that, Graham decided to take the plunge a second time and started Afix, which we're going to hear about. And it's, it's really an interesting company. So Graham, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for, for participating. Thanks, Pat. Um, so you must think I'm mad. <laughs> I, I, people always say like uh, entrepreneurs are sort of wonderful people, but I actually think they're fucking stupid. You know, <laughs> See, you know what I mean by that? I, I, I'm not to take away from your success. I, what I mean by that is like the amount of pain you go through to get to be successful. So I admire you. <laughs> yeah, clinically insane. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking there even of people who join us, you know, we, we had a recent recruit who who left a multinational to come to join from we're growing rather than a startup company now but to, to join a startup growing company for an easy life <laughs> <laughs> well I, I will say this Graham and I my son who's recently graduated and I by some luck I got him into a successful startup that's now growing right he loves it uh, and it's just the sheer amount of responsibility and experience he's getting, which he wouldn't get in a, in a big company. And that's the great thing about it. So, you know that well. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we're, we're, we're out there doing it and you, we wouldn't do it if we didn't get a buzz from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well let's kick off. More digital. Yeah, yeah that was uh, that company is maybe well, about 15 years older now. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, about 20 years old now. So um, I guess... I started, I was lucky enough when I left college, I did electronic engineering and DCU, and then I left and I joined uh, software companies. So my first company was a, a growing Irish startup that was just purchased as I joined it by a UK multinational. So 
it was kind of in a small company owned by Goliath and they were doing CRM software for banking corporations. So that's where I started. And then uh, where we met, I guess we, I worked with Aliscon, another growing, yeah. hugely successful. A, a, a sort of mythical company, I, I have to say. It's yeah, incredible. Absolutely. And we might come back to that. But, but then eventually, I guess, you know, after 2000, 2001, the telecom sector took a bit of a hit. I'd fancy this idea stupidly of, of kind of running my own business, you know, <laughs> and um, my wife actually had it. She wanted to do it. She was ahead of me. So I said, look, I'll join for a period of time. So I did that. I ended up big because life beautifully got in the way. We had kids. So uh, I ended up running the company then, which is really her company for about seven years. So I'd never done business and for leaving search, whatever, about <laughs> run a company. <laughs> So, Double entry bookkeeping, yeah. Yeah, I, I did. You know, you do the Sage Instance accounts. <laughs> did everything. Yeah. And um, so, so that was cool, but it was a services business. And, and I guess then, and it's still successful. It's hugely successful. Great clients, you know, it's worked with Jemson Whiskey, you know, Flowgas, one of the bigger Irish gas companies, government sector. So, so it's been hugely successful. My wife still runs it. But I wanted to get back into that product area. So uh, hence the attraction to do something new again, like AFIX. Okay. And so you were looking at AFIX. Maybe say what AFIX does, uh, Graham, and give some background to it. Yeah. So we help B2B, mainly wholesale distribution companies, to, to sell smarter. So we're a digital commerce company. Our specialism is we, we really help automate the whole e-commerce process end-to-end -end, uh, because we're integrated into these companies ERP and stock systems. So we, we have three particular brands we focus on, which is an Irish company that has a, a UK reach called Intact, Sage on the upper end of their products and SAP. And so that gives us a global market. It gives us a focus in terms of integration. And we really solve that problem of, you know, how do I scale this B2B business online or with apps? Because as we all know, B2B is much more complicated than a retail e-commerce transaction, which tends to be a single price, maybe a discount and a small order mm -hmm. volume. A B2B company has different prices for almost every customer. In some cases, huge volumes, bulk orders, repeat buying. It's a completely different proposition. Okay. Okay. So it's a huge market. Uh, you have a, are more or less a B2B selling company yourself that enables B2B for your customers. And how do you sell? What's the, what have made you, first of all, tell us where your customers are, just roughly. Sure. Yeah, so I guess, you know, we're, we're six years old now. So in the beginning, of course, we started here in Ireland, but very quickly, because we were selling through the channel, we, were, we started to sell into the UK. Then we certified our products with those ERP systems. So now those, those people who sell those ERP systems, Syntax, Sage, and SAP, they want a certified solution that they can recommend uh, with confidence to their customers. So when they're trying to win a sale and bring in an ERP system, digital commerce is now about 40% of the reason people upgrade their ERP system. So they well, need a digital commerce solution. So, uh, and because AFIX is quite unique, one, we're certified with say SAP. So that's big confidence booster for the customer as well as the partner. We're also have some of the, best integration in the industry in terms of the functionality we offer and we're multi-channel so we're web we're app we're punch out we're supplier portal we've multiple 
digital storefronts for our customers. So that can better together means that these partners say, right, when I'm pitching an ERP, I'll put AFIX in the mix. Or if I have a customer base and I obviously want to sell them best of breed solutions, I'll sell there. And then one partner will recommend us to another. So we started in Ireland. Then we, we've several partners now in the UK across those brands. They've recommended us to partners in the Middle East, in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. So we're, we're kind of moving with the brands globally. <laughs> so, so really, it's a, it's a great way to sell, isn't it? International reach. And I'm not saying there's no investment in, in the sale in your part. I'm sure there is. But uh, probably the uh, prospecting part is is a little easier than if you were doing it by yourself. Uh, yeah, identifying them is easy enough. I guess there's, there's a, I guess we need to, in some cases, it's, it's easy enough. The partner's looking for a solution and that's happening more and more, you know, uh, particularly post-COVID, you know, all those businesses in their customer base that said, oh yeah, we'll come back to that digital stuff. That's for retail, it's not for B2B. <laughs> then they went, oh my God, there's a, there's a direct channel we need. There's a B2B channel we have and our trade customers, our reps can't get out there, they need to order online. So, so there's some coming to us now very much saying, look, we need a solution and you're a certified option. There are others we, we obviously need to educate and bringing on a partner. They, you know, they need to be confident in us. They probably mm-hmm. need to be the first deployment over the line. So it, it can be a three to 12 month process to bring on a partner correctly. But obviously you invest heavily so that the, uh, the relationship works long term. Okay. And, you know, nothing is the fairy tales of Sleeping Beauty or anything like that. It doesn't always just happen quickly. What sort of problems did you have when you went, started to grow and develop the company? What, what sort of problems do I still have? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> now we skip over that part, right? <laughs> well, we're not going to get into my personal issues right now. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I guess the first one, obviously, we're a small company selling into a, a well-established brand. If we just take SAP, for example, you know, I mean, credibility is obviously one. Easier than I thought in the end in that, you know, Getting the first customer is the hardest thing. Once you get that, you know, people move with you and they kind of believe in the solution and move forward. So, but, but that is an issue for sure, especially as we enter new markets. I mean, you don't have a reference customer or a reference partner if you look at a new market. So we have to be very careful. We probably tried to do too much too soon in the beginning. And now we're a bit more focused around, well, are we entering that market or not? So if you take um, North America, for example, we will enter that market, but we're not going to do it you know, in the next six months, we're going to wait till we have built up our UK and other existing markets. We'll probably look for to, to make a significant investment when the time is right. Yeah. And then enter. So the biggest learning, I guess, was was trying to spread yourself too thin, being a little bit over optimistic. And then, you know, I guess we were flipping between do we go direct, do we go partner, you know, your route to market, which is best. And even though we kind of knew through the channel, the partner channel was the right approach, we still invested time in direct. And now we've kind of pulled that back and said, no, look, we, we sell via partners. They understood us, understand us. We understand them. They understand their customers. So it all works. Yeah. You know. I, actually, I think that's very wise, Graham. I, from my own experience, you know, for example, just take that example you said in North America, people automatically go 350 million customers. We got to go there. And it's a real lesson in selling and marketing when you go there that it's just 
you're not credible as a, a lot of, I'll say this facetiously, a lot of people don't know where Ireland is, you know, I mean, I don't want to insult any American listeners, but they, they just don't relate to you in the same sense as if you're from Iowa, even. And then you're a small company, et cetera, et cetera, all those things. So I think it's very wise and you, I think, clever way to sell, which usually is a, a something learned, I think, as you as you have. And yeah. where you what's what's your do you target markets or do you target partners? What's your your approach? It it's a kind of little bit of both in that we first target the market. So for example, we probably entered the market in the UK four or five years ago. We would have done done that by directly targeting partners then, uh, identifying, you know, the top 10%, the ones that are early adopters, you know, that seem to have a, a reasonable customer base in terms of size and I guess are, are believers, you know, in that there are some businesses that you know don't look to follow on opportunities for example with their customer base you know they look to mm-hmm. only net new names all the time and if it that purely the strategy well then it's not a volume business for us even if that partner is a fit otherwise so so identifying those things in the market is first then of course some of the other things happened a little bit organically in that one partner recommended us a uk partner to south africa to the middle east we have to take a strong if you think about that, but the good thing about those markets is they're they're near to us in time zone. Business language is English. We've referenceability from the the other partner in that group into that market. So, so we we kind of went that way. But to make a big decision, as I say, like the US, which is one we're actually evaluating right now, and as I say, we will do it. But you know, I've been over to Chicago at e-commerce summits, and I've talked to partners last year when when we were able to travel when I got there, and you know they want boots on the ground yeah so we gotta get ready for that okay well look graham it's been great talking to you um, appreciate your insights on the whole partner signing process which i think is, is pretty interesting and there's lessons in there and there that i think will come out when when people think about it so we at on this podcast we like to end with a song uh that the guest suggests so i don't know if you've had a chance to something to think of something I was thinking um, Park Life by Blur, <laughs> used already, in that I feel we're in a bit of a fishbowl where we're kind of looking at all these odd behaviours around us at the moment. But, you know, um, I love the observation in the song and uh, it reminds me of what we all do in business is try to find that behaviour and trying to find uh, maybe an upside or a, a cynical side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the lyrics of that song are brilliant, aren't they? There's, they're so, well, people say mock me, but they are actually quite clever lyrics and it's great fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, Greg. No, thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. Great to talk. Preference for the habitual voyeur of what is known as a morning suit can be avoided if you take a route straight through what is known as John's got Brewer's fruit, he gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons, they love a bit of him. Who's that gut lord marching? You should cut down on your pork life, mate, get some exercise. All the people. 
I get up when I want, except on Wednesdays when I get rudely awakened by the dustman. I put my trousers on, have a cup of tea, and I think about leaving the house. I feed the pigeons, I sometimes feed the sparrows too. It gives me a sense of enormous well-being. And then I'm happy for the rest of the day. Safe in the knowledge there will always be a bit of my heart devoted to it. And it's not about you joggers who go round and round and round. 